0: You had seven different phone lines across like Google Voice, like four different cell phones, a landline calling a a at the same time around 9 a.m. so that if one of them picks up early, you can hang up and wait for the next one. It's a whole thing. And it's I mean, it's pretty intense for an award booking. And you kind of have to ask yourself, like, is this worth the stress of having to do that? Hey everyone, welcome to episode 58 of The Daily Churn. Today's episode is going to be a pretty special one. It's an update to an episode I did in the past on how to book a first and business class tickets, but this is going to be an update for 2024 because a lot of things have happened since I think it's been a couple years since I recorded that episode. And that episode is still one of the most popular episodes of the show. I think it's like more than double or triple the number of plays of the second most popular episode. So it's definitely one of the ones that I still get a lot of emails and questions on And over the last couple of years, yeah, just a lot of things have changed with how to go about booking these. And I'm now just, you know, in the last few weeks have been really just trying to catch up on all these changes and figure out some new ways to book, you know, fancy flights essentially to Japan because my friends and I, we we try and take a Japan trip at least once every couple of years. Sometimes it's annually, but we love going for the snowboarding. So we try and time it for winter love eating ramen, love hanging out in Tokyo, but also in Niseko for the amazing powdery snow. And so 2025 is when we plan on going, and so now is sort of the time to get that stuff booked. And it's always tough for us because we're flying with a group of sometimes like 10, 12 people, and everyone, of course, wants to fly first in business. And the changes with ANA, yeah, they've been uh, not great. However, there are, of course workarounds and new alternatives. And so what I want to do in this episode is kind of just cover if you haven't been keeping up on all the flyer talk threads which, you know, is a lot to keep up on, what's been happening with ANA, what are some of these changes, and also present a kind of a less stressful, less competitive alternative to ANA, which is JAL, Japan Airlines, which you may have seen in the news recently because they're the flight that caught on fire when they landed on another plane. But I think that's a pretty rare thing to happen. So I wouldn't necessarily worry about flying Japan Airlines. It is a very nice airline. It's like, you know, on par with ANA. And also kind of go into like how you go about booking Japan Airlines and why Cathay Pacific is the best partner, in my opinion, to book these Japan Airlines flights. So we'll cover some of these pros and cons and quirks of booking through Cathay Pacific. And then at the end, I'll just run through what we ended up booking. So if you wanted to kind of mirror a similar itinerary, you kind of know what to expect going in, you know, like who do you have to call? What points do you have to transfer? What do you have to keep in mind of? Like, you know, when are these seats getting released? At what time? All that good stuff we're gonna cover, so it's gonna be a fun episode. But before we get into it, just a reminder that everything we talk about today can be found in the show notes at thedailychurnpodcast.com. There's also a free newsletter if you want to get these show notes sent to you via email whenever one of these episodes comes out. There's also a private Discord, all kinds of good stuff on the website. So definitely check it out if you haven't yet. But for now, let's get back into how to book ANA and Japan Airlines first in business class in 2024. So I thought I'd start with an ANA update first because I think A is the one that most of us are familiar with, either just because we've flown it ourselves or have tried booking it or are currently trying to book it. And so some of the changes that have happened since the ANA episode came out a couple years ago are that it's a lot harder to book it now. It's become extremely competitive, but not only more competitive, but also a lot more inconsistent with how many award seats they release. So the competitive aspect, you know, I I kind of get because I think it's pretty common knowledge now that ANA releases flights at 9 a.m. Tokyo time. Back when I recorded that episode, that was sort of an unknown thing, but I think just over time now, That's pretty common knowledge and that's adding to some of the competitiveness of people trying to book it right at 9am. But that alone wouldn't be such a huge issue if it wasn't for the inconsistency problem. Because back when I recorded the episode, they were releasing two business and two first class seats every single day. Since then, it's become most days only one first and one business being released with sporadic days, depending on the day of the week and the route you're flying, you'll sometimes see two business or two first or two business and two first. It's been completely unpredictable as to when two seats are released at a time. It's mostly one seat at a time but it does happen contrary to some opinions online where they're like, they've just stopped releasing two first. No, it actually does happen where they do release two first. And I can confirm that happens because one of our friends, he's a a pretty big points and miles and flights enthusiast, Kung. Hat tip to Kung, by the way, because a lot of this episode is from research that Kung did. Like he really kind of carried the team this year. Cause I was just like, man, I feel burnt out from like the ANA booking two years ago. So I didn't feel like taking the lead on it this year. But Kung really stepped up and literally tracked ANA award releases at 9 a.m. Tokyo time for like 30 days straight to try and figure out if there was a pattern. So massive shout out and thank you to Kung. FYI, Kung has a new blog where he talks about some of these flight bookings and award bookings. That's over at kungflu.com. So kind of like Kung Fu, but Kung Flu, but not like flu, like COVID flu, flu, like flying flu and his name is Kung. So Kung Flu, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty good name, man. I'm glad you you went with that. Definitely check it out. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. But if it wasn't for the research that Kung did, I would probably still just be neck deep in flyer talk threads. But TLDR is that he discovered that they do release two business and two first sometimes. And sometimes the whole return trip with the dummy return is bookable a couple of days later. So they're not getting snapped up instantly. However, it is pretty rare. Some weekdays, like Tuesdays, Wednesdays, occasionally Thursdays, you'll see it. Weekends, not so much. Depending on the route, like Chicago to Tokyo is a lot more available for two first than going from JFK to Tokyo, where they don't seem to release that as often. And of course, the JFK route is a lot more competitive. So, for example, we were looking at mid-January 2025, around 355 days out, which is when they release these award tickets. And JFK to Tokyo, with a dummy return back from Tokyo to JFK the very next day, that was still 100% bookable with two first-class tickets. As of like a few weeks ago, it got snapped up eventually like a couple days later, but it was there for like a decent amount of time. Like you didn't even have to call in right at 9am to get it. You could just look online a few hours later and it was still there. However, it wasn't the dates that we wanted. We wanted to go in late January, early February. And so we didn't actually end up booking that one, but it did give some Glimmers of hope that this is still a possibility in 2024. So Kong went ahead and transferred over 300,000 miles from Amex to ANA. And of course, you can kind of see where this is going. You know, the second you say it's not going to rain and you don't bring your umbrella, it's going to rain on you. And so the second he moved over his 300,000 points, no more JFK Tokyo flights with two first-class tickets came up in the following like few weeks that he was looking at it, like just zero. So just very sporadic and random as to when they release. Like a couple JFK Tokyo flights did show up, but again, you have to wait for the next day for the return, the dummy return, to be bookable. And by the time that happened, the JFK Tokyo flights had already been snapped up, probably by someone from Tokyo who was booking the Tokyo JFK versus the JFK to Tokyo so if you have no idea what i'm talking about and what are these dummy returns and these routes definitely check out the A episode I go into super depth about it most of that episode is still relevant the only things that have changed really is how many award tickets get released and so if you're just trying to book for yourself just one person extremely doable you can book yourself a business or first class ticket no problem. If you're trying to do two, two people, and I think that's probably the majority of cases, you know, most of us are traveling with a P2. That's when things get challenging. And that's when you have to really brace yourself for the amount of like checking and potential stress and potential worry that you transfer over 300,000 points. And then nothing shows up for the dates that you want. Luckily, there are a couple backup plans if that is you, like you've transferred over the miles and now you're sort of stuck with flying A, or you just really want to fly A, because the A suites are still, even two years later, some of the best first class and business class suites flying currently. And so if you just really want to go with A. There are a couple little hacks that we figured out this time around that can help you get these A tickets for two passengers. The first easier one is just to go with the less popular city, like fly through Chicago versus JFK or, you know, from the West Coast. The downside to flying through Chicago or from Chicago is that it is still running on the old plane. So you may get lucky and they switch over to the new plane, but chances are you're flying the old a suites, which are still really, really nice. Like, you know, still very much worth the cost, which is a really competitive cost, which is 75K round trip for business or 150K round trip for first. So amazing rate. Even if you're flying the old planes, and so what Kang did was, as a backup, he booked those two Chicago tickets from Chicago to Tokyo, and that's a backup while you know he keeps looking for the JFK flights. The other option that requires a little more out-of-the-box thinking is that if you know you're down to go to Japan for two years in a row, so let's say you're down to go in January 2025, and you'll know you'll go back again in January of 2026, one option that you have is that you can book as if you live in Japan. So you would book a Tokyo to JFK, JFK to Tokyo flight. The advantage of doing that is that due to the time change, You could book Tokyo to JFK on, let's say, January 1st, and you could book JFK to Tokyo, your dummy return, also for January 1st. And so both of those flights will release at the same time. And that puts you at a huge advantage because by being able to book both legs at the same time, you beat out anyone in the US because someone in the US has to wait for the return flight from Tokyo to be bookable. And that's not bookable until a day later due to the time change. And so you essentially have a one day head start on anyone else booking these award flights. And that one day head start makes a massive difference. Booking that version from Tokyo to JFK and then back to Tokyo, that was just totally bookable. You can go online now and wait until the rewards release at 9 a.m. and book one of those, provided it's one of those days where ANA decides to release two first-class tickets. But if you're scratching your head thinking, like, how is this beneficial to have that? Like, I don't live in Tokyo. Like, how does this work? Well, so the logistics are that ANA gives you a full year to use your return flight. And that's why going to Japan twice is key to this. So you would book your own flight from JFK to Tokyo yourself. You can book it, you can pay for it, you can use. Japan Airlines, which we'll cover in the next part of this episode. So just book that separately and you get yourself to Japan. And now you use the first part of your a a ticket to go from Japan back home to JFK. And now you have 365 days to use the return portion of that ANA booking. So when you figure out when you wanna go back to Japan, provided it's within the year, you just change the return flight to be whenever you wanna go back and you'll use that return portion of your ANA award ticket. And then to get yourself back home from Japan, that's when you book another separate ticket. So outside of ANA, again, you could just book Japan Airlines a one-way ticket back home. So that's how you can game it so that you get first dibs on any first and business award releases on ANA, which is particularly useful if you're trying to book for two passengers. But of course, it requires you going to Japan twice, which you know it may or may not be a big deal for you, but it still doesn't avoid some of the, the inherent stress of booking award tickets with ANA because it still requires you to be checking this thing at 9 a.m. Tokyo time every day for the dates roughly around when you wanna fly. I mean, it's a lot of checking and it can be annoying and stressful to do that. And you know, one of the tactics that I'd outlined in the previous episode of calling ANA because they're able to secure these seats quicker That's become less of a feasible option, I think, for most people because a lot of people are calling in now to do that. And the thing with ANA is that hold times can be long, so sometimes you try and call earlier. And if they pick up the phone too early before 9 a.m., my old strategy of sort of just delaying them until 9 a.m. turned around, that seems to be no longer working so well. I wonder if they sent out some kind of a, a memo or something where you know the, the latest data points are just like, they're like, oh, you're trying to book for 9 a.m.? call Back later, and they just sort of hang up on you. They've wisened up to the delay tactics, so it's pretty hard to delay them for like five, ten minutes on the phone nowadays if you happen to even get through. Whereas before, you could just sort of chit chat with them for 20, 30 minutes and it'd be fine, but I think they've been told not to do that anymore. And you know, I think there's like uh, someone posted on the Discord where he had seven different phone lines across like Google Voice, like four different cell phones, a landline, calling A&A at the same time around 9 a.m. so that if one of them picks up early, you can hang up and wait for the next one. It's a whole thing. And it's, I mean, it's pretty intense for an award booking. And you kind of have to ask yourself, like, is this worth the stress of having to do that? I mean... I'm trying to be a little less optimal these days because the real benefit of doing it this way is that 75k round trip for business, 150k round trip for first, just by transferring over your Amex points, that is such good value. Like, this is like every optimizer's wet dream of like booking award flights. But yeah, you know, sometimes being a little less optimal and making things a little more chill that's sort of what I'm leaning towards in 2024. And Japan Airlines, that is the way. So that's what we're going to cover next because Japan Airlines to me feels like cheating. The thing that comes to mind weirdly when I think of Japan Airlines is scuba diving. So My wife and I got certified for scuba diving back, oh man, it's almost been like a decade. We had a trip coming up to the Maldives, at the Park Hyatt Maldives, of course, and we're like, oh, scuba is amazing there, right? So let's get scuba certified. And we were living on the West Coast at the time, near San Francisco, and we're like, okay, where do we get scuba certified? Oh, Monterey. Monterey has scuba classes that we can take. Great. Let's sign up for that and let's do it. So- we did. But the thing we didn't know was that the Monterey scuba classes, which might seem really obvious to you, the classes and the tests are done in the water off of Monterey, which is on the west coast of California. And if you've ever been on the west coast, this is the northern coast of Cali too, you know, not like LA, SoCal, Malibu Beach type warm ocean. This is Freezing, frigid cold, the coldest water you've ever experienced in your life kind of ocean. And it's churning constantly. There's sand being kicked in your face. Your visibility is maybe like one or two feet in front of you. To give you some perspective, the day of our final test, we were walking along the beach ready to get into the water. And I was like, why are there these men crawling on the beach being kicked? with like scuba gear on, like that full wetsuit gear on. And there were other men yelling at them and shoving them over with their feet. And then we realized, we're like, oh, this is where they test Navy SEALs for their certification. So that's what we had to walk into. And we spent like 30 minutes, an hour underwater with zero visibility, like 10 of us just holding each other's hands so that we wouldn't lose each other in the churn. And we had to take off our masks underwater, put them back on, take off our mouth hoses while not being able to see anything, put it into your partner's mouth, then put it back. Like It was a whole thing and it was probably one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life to the point where if you told me it was going to be like that beforehand, I would have just, just noped my way all the way back home. So we got certified and then we went to the Maldives. And we went to the Maldives where the Park Hyatt puts you on a boat. There's like five people on the boat helping you get dressed in your scuba gear with sandwiches and sodas and towels. And then you go in the water and it is like bath water. It is literally like just floating in a bathtub while looking at Pretty things. Like you can see hundreds of feet in front of you, little sharks, little corals. And we're just like, man, why did we not just get certified here? Why did we put ourselves through scuba certification in Monterey when we could have done it in a tropical Maldives for like basically the same price? Because it's pretty expensive in San Francisco to get a scuba certification. And that's what booking Japan Airlines is like compared to booking AA. You're gonna be like, is this real? Why have I been doing it the other way this whole time? But don't feel bad because there have been a couple of changes that have made this more, I think, just generally attractive as an alternative to booking A&A. The first of which being that Japan Airlines has delivery of brand new planes. I think the A350s, the Airbus, And the planes have brand new suites and the suites are very nice. I'll link to some reviews and pictures so you can kind of see for yourself. But yeah, they're very fancy, fully enclosed. They've got their door. I think the first class has like a speaker system that's directed to your head so that no one else can hear it, but you can hear it and you don't have to wear headphones, like all kinds of crazy stuff. And I mean, some of the reviews are a little mixed, especially with Flyer Talk. You know, there's people that are plain first class connoisseurs. And so they critique things like, well, there's a ash wood finish that scratches really easily. But I mean, for the regular churner, this is sort of like comparing a 30 year aged whiskey to like a 35 year aged whiskey. Like you're not going to notice the difference. And it's an amazing product to fly on. The only downside with it is that these are new planes being released to Japan Airlines and so they haven't all been made yet. They're still being built, being delivered. And I think right now they're scheduled to have, I think, eight of these in flight in total. By the end of 2024, I think seven of them are being delivered this year. I think a couple have already been delivered. And so depending on the route, you may not get one of these planes. But it's very easy to check which route is scheduled to get the new plane and exactly when. There's a Flyer Talk thread I'll link to where people are posting pictures of these planes in production as they move off of the various phases of production and delivery. And so they're very on top of when these routes are getting them. But the, the quick and dirty is that one of the New York flights already has the new plane. So New York has two flights to Tokyo on Japan Airlines. One of them is already on the A350. The other one is going to get the A350 after Dallas-Fort Worth. That route gets it. So Dallas-Fort Worth is next. Then the other New York flights, Then I think London... And I'm not sure what the next ones are, but basically seven planes are getting delivered in 2024. So if you're planning to go to Japan in 2025, it's pretty easy already to figure out some routes that you want to try and book award tickets for. And the nice part with Japan Airlines is that their award releases are extremely easy to track and very consistent. So they always release two business class tickets on every one of their routes. Most routes are seeing one first-class award ticket being released, like the JFK routes, some routes like Dallas are seeing no first-class releases. And some routes like LAX to Tokyo, they're still on the old first-class. They're seeing two first-class tickets being released every day. And you could potentially gamble that LAX maybe will get one of the new planes, depending on when you're trying to go to Japan. But the nice part is that within a route, it's very consistent. So unlike ANA, where some days you might see 2F, 1F, no F on the same route, with Japan Airlines, you know what you're going to get. You just look up your route and see whether they're releasing 0F, 1F, or 2F, and you know they release released business. So once you just look that up, it's the same every single day. So it's predictable. You don't have to worry about transferring points over and then getting unlucky with a streak of days where they're not releasing the number of seats you're expecting. Additionally, another massive benefit with Japan Airlines is that you can book one-way awards. So you don't have to wait for the return leg to be bookable and book a dummy return in order to secure your outbound flight. You can just secure the outbound flight by itself on the day it releases and then later secure the return flight on the day it releases no more of this dummy return booking that delays your booking by one or two days while someone in Tokyo snaps up the flight which is what happens with ANA all the time but probably the best part with Japan Airlines compared to A is that there is no competition it is wide open for weeks to book these award tickets with the big caveat being it depends on which partner you book your award tickets with. Because Japan Airlines can be booked on a variety of partners, including Alaska Airlines, American Airlines, British Airways, Cathay Pacific. You can even book directly with Japan Airlines using their own award program. But what we're gonna focus on today is why Cathay Pacific is, in my opinion, the best partner to book these tickets with. At first glance, that may not seem intuitive that Cathay is the best because their pricing is one of the highest. Because you're paying 89,000 miles for one way in business and 135,000 miles one way in first. So that's roughly double what A charges. And it is more expensive than what Alaska and American and British Airways charges for their Japan Airlines partner tickets. Like American Airlines, I think is 60,000 miles one way in business, 80,000 in first. Alaska is 65,000 one way in business, only 75,000 in first. So that's very comparable to ANA. Whereas Cathay 89000 one way in business, 135000 one way in first. So why pay double the rate? Like, even if you don't want to do A, why not just book it through American or Alaska instead? And the reason is that Cathay releases their Japan Airlines award tickets 360 days out. Specifically, they release it at 12 a.m., so midnight, local time for the flights that leave from the U.S. So if you're flying out from JFK, midnight JFK. If you're flying out from LAX, midnight LAX. And for the return flight from Japan back to the U.S., that releases around 9 or I think 10 a.m., depending on daylight savings time, Tokyo time. So not midnight, it's 9 or 10 a.m. Tokyo time. And quick shout out to Churning Life, by the way, which is another churning podcast. He has a Patreon where one of the posts talked about Japan Airlines release times. So that saved me some time trying to figure this out myself. So I'll link to his Patreon in the show notes as well. But getting back to the award release window of 360 days with Cathay Pacific, that is truly amazing because it is so much sooner than any of the other partner airlines. So British Airways releases Japan Airlines tickets 355 days. So a little close. But Cathay, you're getting a five-day head start. Then Alaska and American Airlines, they get availability 331 days out. So a full almost 30 days later than Cathay can see availability. And as you can imagine, when you look for availability on Japan Airlines award tickets, 331 days out, all availability dries up right at the 331 day mark. Because as you can imagine, it becomes extremely competitive once 331 days rolls around and everyone with Alaska Airlines and American Airlines miles have access to booking these tickets. It basically feels like searching ANA and coming up short, you know? But with Cathay, it's wide open because you have a 30-day head start. It isn't really until like day 350 that you start seeing some availability start to drop off, thanks to people booking Cathay and of course British Airways. They start getting access at 355. But at 360, for that first week, everything is completely clear. There's no stress at all when it comes to booking. You don't have to do any weird shenanigans. You don't need a VPN. You don't need to call Cathay and do this. You do it all online and it is so easy. So the question though, you probably have is like, is it worth it to pay double for that level of ease and comfort? And I think the question there is really, do you want to easy mode your Japan flight bookings? Is it worth a hundred thousand miles round trip? to save yourself the kind of stress and <laughs> anxiety and just general discomfort involved in booking an A&A trip. Because 100,000 miles is roughly the difference between booking Japan Airlines via Cathay compared to booking A&A directly, 100,000 miles round trip. And you know, I'm just like, if you listen to this show on a pretty regular basis or you're in our private discord, you're probably at a point where a hundred thousand miles is not really that big of a deal. Like it's not that hard to earn a hundred thousand miles. Like, how much is your time and your just general like mental health and well-being worth? Is it worth a hundred thousand miles? Probably, you know, because like at the end of the day, we're all churners here, right? We're not the poor consultant who's flying every weekend and earning his miles through miles traveled in the sky, which I've been there, done that. So if you're a consultant, I'm insulting all of us collectively, not just you, but opening a credit card, you know, one credit card can save you the amount of like time and effort and energy involved going through A&A. So yeah, like I'm at a point where it is a solid yes when it comes to the question of is it worth it to take the easier path? And even just beyond the booking window, booking through Cathay really is the easier route. Like the website is so much easier to use than ANA. It's not even a fair comparison. Plus, transfer partners. They have some really nice, easy to use transfer partners. So American Express transfers directly one-to-one to Cathay. Capital One does. City does. The only one that doesn't is Chase, but you should probably have Amex, Capital One, and City Points. And in my opinion, it's a nice use of Capital One and City Points because I don't find them as useful. And so I don't store them as much as I do with Amex and Chase Points. But the transfers are instant, regardless of which of these programs you're transferring in from. So transferring from City or Capital One into Cathay happens instantly versus with A when you move points from American Express. It can be quick, like a couple of days, or it can take four, five, six days. It's again a little random. And having these instant, easy transfer partners is, I think, another leg up for Cathay versus Alaska and American Airlines, because those two programs don't really have any transfer partners. Like American Airlines, you can transfer built. Uh, the built credit card. I've been thinking about getting a built credit card, but it does take up a 524 slot. So I've been kind of on the fence about it. But outside of the built card, you pretty much have to open an American Airlines co-branded card with Citi or Barclays. Similarly with Alaska, pretty much you just have to open a Bank of America Alaska card, which can be lucrative because with Bank of America and Alaska, you can kind of do like a same-day Aparama where you just open as many of these Alaska cards in one day for a single credit pull as they will approve you for. So there is a way to accumulate Alaska miles, but yeah, it's kind of inconvenient that you can't just transfer over from Amex or Chase or one of the other programs. Similarly, with just Japan Airlines directly, if you wanted to book using Japan Airlines award miles... The only way to transfer over is via Marriott at a three to one rate, which is terrible. I mean, Marriott also, you can transfer to American Airlines and Marriott to Alaska Airlines, but again, at the three to one rate. So also terrible. I think Bonvoy, Marriott Bonvoy, you can transfer anywhere pretty much at three to one because every program wants to accept it at that terrible exchange rate because they're just making money off of it. So I think that's the reason why Marriott points can be transferred pretty much anywhere. But yeah, with all of those benefits added up together for booking Cathay via Japan Airlines, that's ultimately what we ended up doing. So I'll walk through kind of just what we ended up booking and a couple of the, the quirks, because, you know, no process is totally smooth. So there's a couple things to keep in mind if you're going to do this yourself that I kind of wish I knew ahead of time too. So Cathay, I booked it for both myself and my wife, my P2. It was 89,000 miles in business each way. So 178,000 miles per person times two. The first little snag I kind of hit when I was trying to transfer my miles over, initially I was transferring Amex miles over to Cathay Pacific's Asia Miles program was that my miles just didn't show up. So I did a 1,000 point transfer first just to kind of you know make sure I linked my account correctly. Everything was good. Nothing showed up. Then I did it with my wife. Instead of doing a 1,000-point transfer, I just sent over the full like 178,000 miles. And that showed up instantly. So I was like, why are my miles not showing up? And I waited a few days, and that 1,000 points just never came. So then I just did a larger transfer, like 178,000, and that showed up instantly to my account where the 1,000 didn't. So something about a 1,000-mile test transfer, I don't know if it's consistently like this, it's just slower. Like it must be going through some other channel versus a large transfer that happens immediately. So kind of counterintuitive, but I would just transfer the full amount. Just make sure you put your rewards number in correctly and then just transfer in the full amount. If you do it incorrectly, what happens is it goes to a manual review step over at Cathay Pacific and someone has to manually look at it and approve it and be like, why doesn't these numbers match? Why doesn't the name match, for example? So you want to make sure that you're transferring to the right account number with names matching on both ends. The other snag I hit while transferring, which wasn't Cathay's fault or you know anyone other than Capital One, was that when I was transferring some Capital One miles over, it ended up freezing. Capital One froze my Capital One account because I tried to move 178,000 miles over from Capital One to Asia Miles. I'm not exactly sure. Why that happened, like why the freeze happened, I have a couple theories. One was that I just linked the Asia Miles account and then immediately went to transfer a large sum of miles. And that triggered their fraud thing where I had to call And just be like, hey, I did mean to transfer it because they'd frozen it for the reward transfer. The other theory is that I gotten the signup bonus like the day before I did the transfer. So I got like 150,000 miles through the Capital One Venture X business card and then immediately went to transfer all of that over to Asia Miles. And maybe that was too soon. They didn't like that I just got the bonus and then immediately try to move it. So not totally sure, but just keep in mind that Capital One, if you're doing it that way, may freeze your account. The miles still showed up fine though, so I wasn't too worried about it. I was more worried that maybe Capital One had frozen my account for some other reason, like meeting the minimum spend too quickly, but that was not the case. Amex transfers went through totally fine though, so definitely kind of just a Capital One quirk. Then once the miles arrived, I got ready to call Cathay. And the reason I wanted to call Cathay versus just doing it online, which you can do the whole booking online, I wanted to call because I was thinking I'd have them hold one of the legs. I was doing a Dallas-Fort Worth to Haneda, Tokyo flight, And I wanted them to hold it because I wanted to also add a free connection, which is something you can do with Cathay and Japan Airlines, is you can continue on. And I wanted to continue on to Osaka. So you land in Haneda, and instead of paying for a flight from Haneda to Osaka, I wanted to add the Osaka leg. But because of the time zone difference in Japan, the Dallas-Fort Worth to Haneda that portion opens first, and then a day later, the Haneda to Osaka leg opens because it's a day later in Japan when you land. And so I didn't want the first leg to be booked by someone else while I was waiting for the second connection to be open. So you can just call and they'll do a 48-hour hold. I called around midnight Dallas time because if you recall from earlier, that's when these award tickets get released is local time in the US for the flights to depart from the US. So I called midnight Dallas time, spent about 30 minutes waiting to get someone on the phone. They applied the 48-hour hold everything was gravy. I mean, in hindsight, you didn't need to do that at all because again, these Cathay Pacific Japan airline flights, they are not getting booked up. I was still in that jaded A scarcity mindset of like, man, I got to get these tickets as soon as they open, make sure no one else gets them so that I can grab them, you know, and like, I got to make sure I put this on hold in case. Yeah. You don't need to worry about that at all with Cathay. So if you want the peace of mind and you are trying to do the connection, sure, put it on hold. But yeah, this stuff was open like a week after I booked. So it was sort of unnecessary to stay up late and then be on hold and then do this and have to call back the next day to add the free Osaka leg. But that is what I ended up doing, which is just calling back the next day around 9 or 10 a.m. Japan time and having them add the Osaka leg to my held leg. And that actually turned out to be more complicated than I thought it'd be because Another quirk with Cathay is that they can't seem to find domestic Japan airline flights individually. What I mean by that is even on the website, if you go and you search for Tokyo to Osaka, nothing will show up. However, if you search JFK to Osaka, it will return a Japan Airlines flight that goes from JFK to Tokyo and another flight that goes from Tokyo to Osaka. So the Tokyo to Osaka flight can only be seen and booked when it's searched for and booked as part of a full flight that isn't just domestic to Japan. So that was a little weird to like explain to the agent on the phone because I called back and I was like, hey, Can you add the Tokyo to Osaka leg? And he tried looking for the Tokyo to Osaka flight. And he's like, there's no Tokyo to Osaka flight. And so I basically had to teach him that the way to see the Tokyo to Osaka flight is to actually plug in Dallas Fort Worth to Osaka. And then you'll see that, oh, yeah, there is a Tokyo to Osaka flight, but it has to be part of this like itinerary, I guess, that departs from outside of Japan versus just being a purely Japan domestic flight. Yeah, it's a little weird, but after. he figured that out, he was able to book it. So you probably don't even have to go through this this madness of um, calling in and having them do that because I didn't need to hold the flight, the first leg in the first place. It was totally bookable the next day as well, because these aren't getting taken up until the other partners get availability. And that doesn't happen until 355 or 331 days out. Another idea that might've crossed your mind, because it definitely crossed mine, is that like, what if, we booked this as a round trip flight instead of two one ways. You know, given these tickets aren't being snatched up immediately, you have time to potentially book it as a round trip. And the benefit potentially of booking is round trip is with Cathay, at least from what I read and researched online, is that Cathay allows up to five stopovers on a round-trip award ticket. They used to allow stopovers on even a one-way ticket, but I think that ended in 2020. So now it's only on round-trip. And the benefit of that potentially of having these stopovers on a round-trip is that you could fly to Tokyo and just hang out in Tokyo for a week and then continue on from Tokyo to, let's say, Osaka, spend another week on Osaka, maybe you do an open jaw and you get yourself over to Sapporo, and then after spending another week in Sapporo, you fly over to Tokyo, spend another week in Tokyo, and then you fly back to the US. That, in theory, could all be booked as part of one round-trip Cathay Japan Airlines award ticket for the same number of miles. The reason I think in practice this may not actually be possible is because you can't search for, and not just you, the agents also, can't search for and find domestic Japan legs by themselves. So they'd have to be able to find like a Sapporo to Tokyo flight or an Osaka to Tokyo flight. And they can't do that unless they search for a city in the US and then a city in Japan. They can't seem to find any of these domestic flights. So that's why I think you know it, it probably wouldn't work, but if you've gotten it to work, I would love to hear any data points of this because it would save you a bit of money, but at the same time, these domestic flights in Japan, they're like $100 each way anyway. So it's not really that big of a deal. You'd save a few hundred bucks, but if anyone has tried it and got it to work, definitely let me know. I'm very curious. But a minimum, though, booking a connection, though, not a stopover, just a connection, that's definitely very doable. And you can do that yourself over the phone or on the website. Um, but again, just have to remind the agent that they can't search for just the connection leg by itself. But yeah, at least with our booking, though, after I got the outbound flight all the way to Osaka secured, a couple weeks later, I went online and just this time myself, booked the Tokyo back to Dallas-Fort Worth one-way flight for both myself and P2 in business class. And that was it. I mean, other than just getting ourselves to Dallas-Fort Worth, we'll probably just like uh, do a Southwest or United positioning flight. We have companion pass this year, so really easy and cheap to do positioning flights to get into some of these cities. And I'm also just going to keep an eye out on exactly when they switch over the Dallas Fort Worth flight to the new Airbus uh, A350, because I want to make sure that we are on the new suites, which they have a whole year to do it and it's next on the list. So I feel pretty confident that by January 2025, it will be on the new suites by then. But if we have to make changes with uh, Cathay, it's $50 for a change and $120 for a cancellation. So pretty reasonable. And uh, I might even keep my eye out for any first class availability to see if I can maybe just cancel and then move us over to first class. But we would need two first class seats, which may not be that feasible. But if you're traveling solo, I would definitely splurge on getting the 135,000 point first class seat, even if you only do it one way, you know, this isn't like a a where you're committed to both legs. You can just do it for one of the legs just to kind of try it. It's kind of a bucket list flight for sure. But all in all, just a a super easy very chill process. Uh, If it wasn't for me having to do the flight hold, I could have done it all online in like five or 10 minutes compared to the craziness of ANA. So definitely A++ would book again. It was so not time consuming that I even had time while I was waiting for the return flight to open up to book eight business class tickets to Taiwan for another trip that we're doing. But that is a story for another episode. All right. That's it for this episode. Hopefully you found it helpful. Hopefully your next Japan trip goes a little smoother. You know, you keep a little bit more of your sanity when it comes to booking these award tickets. And hopefully it gave you permission a little bit to spend a little more points on tickets that can save you a lot of stress compared to some of the other more optimal options. I know there was a, a lot of info covered in this episode, but as always, you can find the show notes at the dailychurnpodcast.com. Some listeners have also forwarded me like AI summaries of these episodes. So I might try one of these services out for this one and just see how well or not the AI summarizes the level of information in this. But if it turns out well, I'll, I'll post that AI summary as well on the website. And finally, if you enjoyed this kind of uh, award-hacking, travel-booking type of an episode, definitely check out my friend's blog at kungflu.com. He has a bunch of great articles on award travel and award bookings and was so instrumental to our 2025 Japan bookings that he probably deserves some kind of research credit or something for this episode. So definitely check him out. But otherwise, I will catch you all next time for the February churning recap. Thanks for tuning in. See ya.